drew together some of the world's leading economists. Two of the three who shared the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2001, George Akerlof and Joseph Stiglitz. James Merlees, who was awarded the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences in 1996, and George Soros himself, of Soros Fund Management and chairman of the Open Society Institute. A long-time critic of classical economic theory, Soros has given $50 million over 10 years to set up the institute. So why was a new institute and such a high-powered conference needed? George Soros. The crisis of 2008 has shown that the existing present interpretation of financial markets is flawed. Uh, the efficient market hypothesis, the rational expectations theory, actually is unsound, and it uh, represents a, a, an unreal world, not the real world. So uh, we need to go back to the drawing board and rethink quite profoundly uh, our interpretation of markets. So the idea that financial markets automatically tend towards equilibrium actually is false. Markets are just as prone to produce bubbles as they are to go to equilibrium. Sometimes they do one thing, sometimes they do the other. Both are inherent, both are inside the system. And that needs to be, needs, forces us to rethink things quite fundamentally. Now, I have my own uh, interpretation, so I'm a protagonist in this search for a, a new paradigm. And at the same time, I'm a sponsor of the Institute. And that's a very, very tricky position to be in. Um, and that's why I think it's very important that it's the Institute should not be my creation, but it should have a broad financial base, and there will be a fundraising campaign, and my contribution is just the, the starting point, and I think there will be uh, other uh, uh, supporters coming in. As the day's news bulletins talked about the latest phase of the economic crisis, discussions about financial regulation and what to do about Greece's sovereign debt, standing in the Great Hall at King's College, Cambridge, George Soros tracked the beginnings of the crisis back to the 1960s and an approach to economics that relied too heavily on quantitative methods. The prevailing view is that somehow markets reflect reality, that they talk about price discovery, right? As if there was one correct price uh, that the markets discover. Nonsense. Uh, markets create reality as well as reflect it. And right now, they reflect uncertainty. And so you have a very high risk premium. And if you want to provide aid to, uh, to Greece to work its way out of a difficult situation, 
and the Greek government uh, has introduced measures that would bring down uh, the, the, the deficit from 12 or 13 percent to 8.7 percent. If they now have to pay this uh, uh, extra risk premium, they can't get there. They are in a trap, and which would drive them into depression. So uh, this is why they have to be given some help uh, uh, from Europe or, uh, or the IMF uh, at uh, concessional rates. It was, Soros said, his highest hopes that by bringing the most eminent names in economics together at the inaugural conference of the Institute for New Economic Thinking at King's College, Cambridge, that the conflicts within the discipline would be explored and give rise to new thinking. Uh, we are not really out of the crisis. Uh, we survived the, the default of Lehman, by the authorities taking exceptional steps. Uh, but the imbalances which have caused uh, uh, the financial collapse have not yet been corrected. Uh, so, uh, and one of the imbalances actually is between creditor countries and, and the borrowing countries, the debtor countries. And this was an issue that uh, uh, was at the foundation of the, of the, of the Bretton Woods institutions. Uh, so just as the euro is shaky, the, the whole construction of the, of, of the IMF is also, because, the, because Keynes argued that there has to be some symmetry in between the responsibility of the, of the creditor countries and the uh, debtor countries, that the creditor countries are also responsible if there are imbalances, whereas uh, the, all, the, all the penalties, all the discipline is imposed on the debtor countries. Now, if you have a, a moment of insufficient demand, as you have right now, and then you impose discipline on the debtor countries and force them to cut their, uh, uh, their, budgetary, their budgets. And then you push yourself right back to where you were in the 1930s, and as if Keynes had never lived. And, of course, he did, and he pointed out that, that uh, you, you have sometimes uh, conditions of insufficient demand, and you need artificial steps to stimulate demand. Eighty years ago, John Maynard Keynes stood in these same halls at King's. He was inspired by the crisis of the 1930s to write his general theory of employment interest and money. Keynes' presence was tangible as economists of today referred incessantly to the master of economic theory. I do not know which makes man more conservative, to know nothing but the present or nothing but the past. Surrounded by a posse of financial journalists, Nobel Prize winner Joseph Stiglitz, professor of economics at Columbia University, expressed his doubts that the recovery could be maintained if fiscal stimulus measures are phased out too quickly. 
Professor Stiglitz. We're not out of the woods uh, by any means. Uh, the, the, in the United States, uh, we see uh, lots of risks ahead. Uh, the number of foreclosures in 2010 are expected to be larger than 2009. Uh, the unemployment rate is still unacceptably high. One out of six Americans who would like a full-time job uh, cannot get one. There was at last some positive news in employment last month, uh, but only 1% of those who were seeking a job got a job. Not very good. At that pace, uh, it will be uh, years and years before we get back to full employment. Hopefully the pace will pick up, but uh, it will be still a long time before we get back to normal. We expect more banks to go into bankruptcy this year than last year. 140 went into bankruptcy last year. Uh, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Because so many banks are facing difficulties, they aren't willing to lend. Restrictions on lending particularly important for small and medium-sized businesses. And meanwhile, the stimulus is coming to an end. Uh, it has filled in the gap in uh, aggregate demand, but with the weakening, the, the, the hope was that the stimulus would phase out as the private sector phased in. But it looks as if the stimulus will phase out faster than the private sector will be phasing in. Greece's sovereign debt problem, he argued, demonstrated the need for other countries and individual households to deleverage and restructure their debts. The double-digit growth in the emerging markets of India and China would not be enough to offset the weaknesses in the economies of the U.S. and Europe. Professor Stiglitz. There is not going to be any easy solution for getting out of this crisis. Uh, there are some short-term uh, remedies, fiscal stimulation, uh, that will help. But uh, part of the process is deleveraging households that have excess uh, liabilities. Uh, it will take a while to get rid of those unless we restructure their debts. I've recommended that we do that, but there is enormous resistance to doing that. And what about the emerging markets? India and China, they're not in debt to the same extent as the Western economies are. Are they going to do better because of that? Uh, they are, the, the emerging markets, many of them are doing very well indeed. Uh, China is likely to grow 10% or more this year. Uh, so they are doing very well, but they are not big enough to offset the weaknesses in the United States and Europe. So was the crisis in economics brought about by a misguided approach to the discipline, not least its concentration on mathematical modelling at the expense of theories incorporating studies of humans' behaviour? Professor Stiglitz says bubble theory was proven wrong. Oh, we know pretty well what caused it in, a, in a, a simplistic sense. There was a bubble. The financial markets were, uh, failed to perform their critical role in allocating capital, managing risk. And because they failed, the economy failed. Uh, we can ask deeper questions about why they failed, problems of 
incentive structures which encourage excessive risk-taking, short-sighted behavior. We have to ask why that is the case. It has to do with problems of corporate governance, problems of too-big-to-fail institutions, too intertwined institutions. We also have to ask why do the regulators not circumscribe that behavior? And again, we have answers, partly to do with the role of special interests. We appealed Glass-Steagall after an enormous spending by uh, campaign contributions by the financial industries. Citibank uh, was created uh, as a result of the repeal of Glass-Steagall. Uh, economic theory played an important role, and that's what this conference is about. Economic theory provided the arguments that allowed the regulators to strip away the regulations and not induce new regulations that were needed. So that brings us on to your uh, session. Do you think that we do need to, to rethink economic theory, almost to go forward to reform and restructure it? Yes, we do. Uh, I mean, the, one can look at it in two different ways. The standard paradigm that prevailed was clearly wrong. It said that markets were always efficient, uh, you couldn't have a bubble, and uh, one of the things that one should have to admit is that when you have a bubble, the theory that says that you can't have a bubble, something's wrong with that theory. But the good news is that while that mainstream theory was badly flawed, over the last quarter century, there have developed a number of alternative theories, and this is a time to bring a lot of those theories out of the closet and look at them more deeply. Because there is quite a lot of feeling that actually economics has been too constrained with mathematical modelling. It, it hasn't looked at the, the history of economics. Indeed, some people are saying Keen, Keynes wouldn't be called an economist if he was here today. There is some truth in that, but I don't think the real problem is mathematical modeling. It's the wrong mathematical modeling. It's not mathematics. Mathematics is a language. Uh, if you make a, uh, absurd assumptions, you're going to get absurd conclusions. Uh, the, the problem was that too many of those who were focused on the mathematics didn't look at the assumptions that they were making. Professor Stiglitz, Nobel Prize-winning partner George Akerlof, Koshland Professor of Economics at the University of California, Berkeley, has just published a new book, Identity Economics, where he shows how it is possible to trace the roots of the current financial crisis to identity. He's critical of the so-called bonus culture. I don't know whether it's a new economics, but I think this is what we're working toward in economics and have been over the past 50, over the past 100 years actually, is getting an economics which describes people more accurately and how people behave and then putting them in the appropriate environment. So we're getting a better economics and it's a better economics in which I think we would have been able to see some of the problems with, that have developed in the current crisis. Now, have you got your own theories about why this crisis arose as it did? I mean, some people are still saying we still don't really know. We think we know, but we're not certain. I think we're beginning to know why the crisis occurred. I think this... I, I have another book with Robert Schiller about, about the crisis uh, more generally, but I think that this identity economics played a major role or a very significant role, and that was that people were paid bonuses, very large bonuses, monetary bonuses, and what people did is they identified with their bonuses, and those bonuses were much too high. 
Um, in fact, the people did not do their duties by the firms for which they worked. And so what you should have is you should have much less pay for, uh, for people, for what people, rewards for current profits. You, what works in an organization, and this is true for financial organizations, is the people should do their duty for the organization. They should view themselves as belonging to that organization. So in an organization that works is the following. An organization that works is when every person in that organization views themselves as a captain, and they say, I, the captain, should go down with the ship. Humans, he says, take their identity from a number of different influences. And without the right influences, things take a turn for the worse. He cites the military as an example. There has, there's been a little bit of work on identity, but this, I think, is, 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 is a new... Is a, is a, lot, a lot of this is, we think, new in addition. Um, so... This is important because it determines how almost every organization works. So, uh, so think about organizations that work. Organizations that, in organizations that work, people have a view of what their jobs are. And when they have a view of what their jobs are, they have a view as to what they should or should not do in those jobs. So let me give you an example. So here's an extreme example which is the United States Military Academy at West Point. So uh, the book is full of stories, and this is one of the stories we tell. It's about the first day when the cadets arrive at uh, the Military Academy at West Point. So they arrive as normal teenagers, and their parents drop them off. But then, with a matter of hours, their identity is changed. They have become cadets at West Point. So how does that occur? They have their hair cut off, they are put into uniform, and then they're put through their first drill. What is their first drill? They have to make a salute. They have to salute, I, Cadet Doe, salute the cadet in the red sash as ordered, and they have to do it over and over and over again until they get the salute and the intonation exactly right. Professor Akerlof thinks a new approach to economics will aid the recovery. I think they adopted the wrong identity largely because people were given the wrong incentives. And so when we get the incentive structure right, that's one of the ways in which we're, not, we're going to cure, keep ourselves from having future uh, financial uh, panics. Does identity economics give us any clues to solutions in the future? We've heard diverging views at this conference about whether the, the strength of the recovery, whether it's fragile, whether we're coming out. Okay. Can, we, can we have any hint of what might be well, to come? Well, I think what we need for this, I think what we need is a better economics. I think this is a step forward in getting a better economics. And so I think when we have a better economics, then we're going to analyze things better with people's motivations. So identity, people live in a world in which our organizations are most of our lives. So there are lives in terms of the organizations where we work, for one. They're the uh, organizations where we go to school, our schools. There are our families. We actually talk about all of these things uh, in the book. 
And so when we understand these better, we're going to have a better economics and an economics that fits together and is more realistic. And then finally, this conference is impressive, uh, is, isn't it, Professor Akerlof? Because you, you won the Nobel Prize with, with Spence and Stiglitz. Yes. Uh, we, we've got another Nobel Prize uh, winner here, here too. Um, are you surprised to find yourselves all in a room together after all these years? Well, we're all friends, so it's, it's always a great pleasure. So Joe was actually a uh, classmate of mine at MIT, so it's, it's always nice to see Joe again. And Jim Burleys is a friend, and Mike Spence was supposed to be here, but he hasn't he wasn't able to come. Professor Sir James Merlees of the Chinese University of Hong Kong and Emeritus Professor of Political Economy at Cambridge won his Nobel Prize in 1996 in recognition of his fundamental contributions to the economic theory of incentives based on asymmetric information. He's kept faith with the modelling system's approach and argues that a better system of regulation is needed. I've been asked to talk about a, a rather peculiar, uh, not actually, I think, silly topic, which is uh, whether uh, economists using mathematics has been one of the problems that, uh, that economics could have done much better if they hadn't they'd somehow not used mathematics. But, it, but it's not silly, is mm -hmm. it? People feel uh, very um, het up about this issue at the moment. Some of them are saying, look, we should have ha had different modelling methods. Economics did let us down. Uh, it's just uh, dealing at too abstract a level. The question is, uh, did the models let us down? I mean, did the, the underlying thought and argument uh, and, uh, and use of empirical data uh, do a bad job? And I, I think you can make a... A decent case on that. It's it's not the mathematics that, 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 that's like. Uh, I mean, equally, a lot of people who weren't using mathematics were doing a pretty bad job how, <laughs> how developing do we, economic theory. How does economics go forward from here? Because that's the point of this conference. Uh, as usual, in different ways. Uh, I think one way it shouldn't go forward. It should go back to Keynes. And, uh, but uh, I think there's room for immense developments in microeconomics and, and really understanding the, the incentives in the financial system uh, of uh, getting away from the, the notion that any market's a good thing and uh, really working out a proper theory of regulation of the financial system, which I think is completely lacking. The models work, says Professor Merlees, if you allow them to. As for the crisis, he says recovery might be maintained, but we're definitely in the doldrums. Well, we, could, we could just come out of it, right. That, that's the way it should go. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to me that uh, investment demands recovering fast enough. And the, the latest data rather suggests that growth is not going all that well. I think it'll be all right in the emerging world. That's, I'm encouraged by that. But I think what we can perhaps expect is a period of doldrums. And, and that period of, of doldrums, China and India, will they just surge ahead because they haven't got the same debt problems as the Western world? Because they've got more sensible economic policies. Uh, yeah, I think there's every prospect that they're going to keep going pretty well. George Soros agrees that the world needs to confront the serious problems of the global regulations of markets. There's evidence he thinks that China is realising this too.
with higher growth and lower debt burdens, the emerging economies are that much better placed than their Western counterparts. You really have a very serious uh, problem confronting the world. The, the, the financial system, as we know it, has collapsed and it needs to be rebuilt. And it can only be rebuilt when there is international cooperation. If you want to have global markets, uh, then you have to have an agreement on global regulation of markets. So you need international cooperation or globalization will break up. And that would then have very serious consequences for the world economy. So, uh, uh, and there is tension. And unfortunately, for the last six months, the, those tensions have been growing like a, like a snowball, you know, getting bigger and in, 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 uh, sort of uh, sweeping up new and new problems. Uh, so it got, got larger and larger. Uh, I am hopeful that there has been some change, that there is a, um, let's say, the grown-ups have taken over and, uh, and have realized that they've got to uh, find an accommodation. And the fact that an accommodation has been found is, is uh, symbolized by, by the fact that President Hu is attending this nuclear conference uh, in, in April in, in Washington. So I can't imagine that there should be immediately there, his, following his visit, a, a breakdown uh, in, uh, on, on the currency issue. If economists could manage to get themselves thought of as humble, competent people on the level with dentists, that would be splendid.